Welcome, and thanks for joining the Closed End Fund Association for another discussion. Today, we will hear from an industry expert who shares insight on a timely issue affecting the Closed End Fund space. Good morning. I'm Libby Haster. Today is Monday, April 16th. With Tax Day officially tomorrow, we want to help listeners get a jump start on their planning for next year. Largely focusing on discussion around tax-free income and the municipal bond market, we brought in some experts on the matter. But before I introduce today's guests, I want to try to capture the sentiment of the market. So here's a quick look at where we are. Municipal bonds have faced some shifting market trends with the Fed expected to continue raising interest rates. Tax reform has also been lowering rates, also reducing local and state tax breaks and infrastructure requirements across the nation, which potentially brings both issues and opportunities. Yet, in spite of all this, munis are remaining strong. In fact, this year, high-yield municipal bonds performed well in relation to other fixed income offerings, which begs the question of whether muni bonds have the potential to continue with this pattern of outperformance. So with that in mind, I'd like to go ahead and introduce today's speakers. From Nuveen, we have Purva Patel. She's Senior Vice President and Client Portfolio Manager with Nuveen. Also joining is Robert Amadeo, CFA and Head of Municipals at Western Asset. So Robert, if I could start with you. The Federal Reserve is expected to continue to raise interest rates this year, three times and possibly four times. So how is this impacting the broad municipal market? Robert? Sure. Well, thank you very much for being part of this conversation. I look very much forward to being informative as well as trying to be somewhat interesting. As, you know, obviously, public finance is a very interesting subject, and thank you for that question. Yeah, I think there will be multiple stages here. One is, obviously, the Fed is now squarely in a tightening cycle. It's been so since 2015, although that was one and done, and now we seem to be more squarely in the midst of a, a Fed tightening cycle. Obviously, they're talking about raising their short-term borrowing rates multiple times this year and looking forward to the out years and, and continuing in that trend. You know, I think there's uh, some uncertainty as to how this will unfold. I think one of the things that there's less uncertainty about is the Fed messaging. I think they've done an outstanding job for a number of years now in messaging their monetary policy. So there should be some less uncertainty from the market perspective in terms of messaging and therefore potential for lower volatility. In fact, over the last 30 days, when you look at the rolling 30-day volatility in the municipal bond market, it has dropped and dropped precipitously from those elevated levels that we witnessed at the beginning of this year. Uh, And that's good news. And again, that's in the face of uh, Fed tightening and further tightening ahead. When you look back to the past Fed tightening cycles, 94, 99 to 2000, 04 to 06, and now 15 through 2018, you know, you can call out some very difficult and challenging environments if you look to 1994, but that, I think, is a very different type of Fed tightening cycle and one that we're unlikely to witness uh, here in 15 and through into whenever they eventually finish their Fed tightening cycle. One, more importantly, as I mentioned, the messaging is so much improved since 1994, but 94 was obviously a very challenging year for fixed income. But then if you look at 99, 2000, 04 to 06, and now the more recent, it's been very good, even in the face of Fed tightening, it's been very good for fixed income investors. Granted, 99 to 2000 was okay, it wasn't off the charts great, but look to 04 to 06. If you had longer maturities and actually lower credit quality, more credit spread in your portfolio, you performed extremely well. 
And that would go against most people's perspectives, especially the retail investor who's always or seems to be always fearful of Fed tightening cycles. And I think if you look over the last almost handful of Fed tightening cycles, it doesn't necessarily mean calamity. In fact, there might be some good opportunities in a marketplace. And I think today's marketplace is one of those. Right. And now, Pervo, with these Fed tightening cycles, would you say that some of this is already priced in at this point? It's tough to say that with 100% certainty, but I think what we have seen as the Fed has tightened is that the short end of the curve is very sensitive to what the Fed is doing, whereas the long end of the curve, and um, Robert mentioned this, the long end of the curve in 2004 to 2006 did something opposite of what investors had expected. And I think you may experience something similar to that with this market and just as we experience the next few Fed rate increases. It's tough to make a case for the 10-year Treasury and the 30-year Treasury to be at significantly higher levels than, than what they are right now without a lot of inflation. And so with that said, we think maybe a lot of the pricing in, if you will, the Fed rate raises may have already been priced into the market on the intermediate and the long part of the curve, but the short part of the curve will still probably see some sensitivity to what the Fed does for the rest of the year. Right. And and Robert, um, obviously, as we said, tax season is top of mind for everyone. So if we could just take a little bit of a deeper dive and you could speak to how the mini bond market has been impacted by the various components of tax reform legislation as a whole. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, you know investors are asking what tax reform means for the municipal bond market broadly, and at Weston, as we expected, the plan is a net positive for most municipal bond investors because, you know, ironically, I've been doing this almost 30 years. The latest tax reform, now tax law, did not take away the municipal bond tax exemption. I think I'd be hard pressed to point to a past budget cycle or tax reform rhetoric. It'd be tough to point to another time when the tax exemption was not squarely in the crosshairs of public policymakers as to a potential avenue of opportunity to raise revenue. So I'd say that the uh, when when you look at tax reform, obviously taxes can be very complicated. But to over and perhaps to oversimplify the landscape, we think there will be really three stages of uh, impact on the municipal bond market. The first one we witnessed at the latter part of 2017 as there was a rush to marketplace in terms of new issue supply. So December 2017, we really saw an onslaught of supply hit the municipal bond market. And in the face of that supply, outside supply again, uh, municipal bonds rallied and rallied mightily. Now, obviously, some of that supply being dragged away from the current year into the prior year, that should improve the technicals or the balance between supply and demand. And away from tax reform, we are seeing steady cash flows into open-end mutual funds. So the technicals are actually in very good shape here. Um, you know, part of it also is when you look at the supply of news to supply, uh, the elimination of advanced refunding as a result of the tax reform, uh, that should also reduce the new issue supply in the marketplace. So again, you're looking at a favorable technical environment. So I think, you know, you look at the secondary effect is it's going to improve the technicals in the marketplace. Now, the third point, and this is uh, one that's just going to be ongoing, the municipal marketplace, like all marketplaces, will adjust to the new or the, the economic realities that have surfaced over time and the, and the changes in, in the economic realities that surface over time. And municipal bond market will have to uh, deal with this tax reform over time because 
there are some provisions in there that when you talk about level of rates, exemptions, and all the things, again, on a net basis, it's a positive for municipal bond investors because, frankly, there's less ways to shield income from taxes other than municipal bonds now. But also the significant reduction in the level of corporate tax rates. We're not overly concerned about the modest drop in individual tax rates because we think they will remain a steady source of demand for municipal securities. But we are, if we are concerned about any element of tax reform, it's the bank appetite for municipal bonds as well as insurance company appetite for municipal bonds. And I say with the lower corporate tax rate at 21%, the value of municipal income drops from an institutional's perspective. And, you know, when you look at who owns municipal securities, they own, depending on which segment of the marketplace you speak to, banks and insurance companies own 15 to 25% of the marketplace. You know, our view there is we have seen some modest selling from banks in the early part of 2018. But insurance companies, we believe, will be less, there'll be less appetite for them to uh, sell outright. You know, I think it'll happen over time as the seasoned higher book yields that insurance companies really to hold up to income in their portfolios, not necessarily look for absolute total return. As their seasoned higher book yields, higher income on their balance sheets, they're going to try to hold on to those for as long as possible. So we're not seeing outright selling from insurance companies. But I think as the market progresses and as this evolves over time, uh, it'd be more challenging for municipal securities to compete with other markets such as single-A corporates or even triple-B corporates, but we'll say single-A corporates. So, you know, with that, I think municipals, in order to attract uh, the institutional demand, say, from banks and insurance companies due to the lower corporate tax rate, they're going to have to stay a little bit cheaper. Uh, insurance companies may look to invest in alternative minimum tax securities because they are no longer subjected to that uh, potential tax penalty. And they perhaps will look to lower quality or perhaps different structures that offer a yield advantage over just the general marketplace. So I think overall, uh, we think that it'll happen. The, the tax, the impact from tax reform will occur over time. Some of it is already in the marketplace and, the, and valuations have adjusted for it, but there'll be an ongoing adjustment in valuations in the years ahead. But we're not, uh, we think it's a net positive for municipal bond investors, except that we're watching very closely the institutional demand. Yeah, I think you raise a lot of good points, Robert. I'm interested, Perva, from the portfolio management perspective, is this affecting your outlook on muni bonds as a sound long-term portfolio investment? No, not at all. And actually, I think taking it back to the investor, too, is that the investor doesn't feel that either. And so we have seen over $10 billion go into municipal mutual funds as an industry. So that tells me that investors are still seeking out municipal investments as part of their overall portfolio. And volatility has dropped in the race market um, in the the near past. And I think a lot of it has to do, too, with the fact that volatility has picked up in the equity markets. And that's pointing investors in the direction of fixed income as perhaps a bigger allocation or a new allocation to their overall portfolio. So we think as a long-term investment strategy, as well as part of an overall asset allocation for an individual investor, municipal bonds still make a lot of sense. And we run a study that looks at municipal investments as part of an overall allocation of bonds and equities, and we find that municipals reduce volatility of an all-equity portfolio by a third, as well as give you about the same 
total return as an all-equity portfolio. So with those kinds of risk-reducing benefits, it still does make a lot of sense to own municipal bonds. And then also, Perva, Morningstar has reported that 25% of the muni bonds and ETFs invest in single-state portfolios. This is largely attributed to the fact that native state-owned munis are often exempt from state and local taxes, providing that triple-threat tax reduction that investors love. With that in mind, how should investors weigh these benefits against broader diversification of a national muni fund? Mm -hmm. We actually run several state-specific portfolios pretty much in every state that has a state income tax and we can find enough bonds to run a diversified portfolio. So it does pay, and I think with the new changes in tax law, especially the state and local tax deduction cap at $10,000, it's going to make in-state portfolios a little bit more attractive to those investors in high-tax states, especially like a California or New York, where they're going to be limited in terms of deducting state and local taxes from their federal income tax. And we think that's going to be another source of demand potentially in the second half of the year as you know we get through this tax year, 2017's tax year it, tomorrow, and look to 2018's tax year and talk to our CPAs and figure out what our potential tax liability might be next year. So we think it makes in-state portfolios look a little bit more attractive, but of course, diversification outside of the state, depending on which state you're talking about, could also benefit investors because certain states at the state level may be struggling a little bit. There's a few states like Illinois and New York that you want to be very selective in, in terms of where you're purchasing different credits. With those types of environments, you may want to elect to have a portion of your overall municipal bond portfolio invested in outside of the specific state municipal bond market. So depending on where you live and what your tax situation is, I think that determines whether you do a state-specific portfolio or whether you do a blend of in-state bonds and out-of-state bonds. Thanks. And if we could just slightly pivot over to the um, infrastructure realm. Robert, we're hearing a lot about the rebuilding of the nation's infrastructure, but details of this financing are still unclear with federal funding, state funding, and even the private-public partnerships all being a part of the discussion. So do you think municipal bond financing will have a significant role in the longer-term infrastructure solution? And if so, what issues and opportunities might this present for muni investors? Yeah, great question. In fact, it dovetails very nicely with the tax reform question that we uh, we covered just briefly a few moments ago. And you know, one of the reasons why municipal investments or tax-exempt income more specifically was not in the crosshairs of tax reform is due to the lack of financing that's available for infrastructure investing here domestically. So, you know, I agree. The widespread conversations regarding America's need to retool, rebuild, and modernize its infrastructure are ongoing. And I would say just very straightforwardly, uh, the best scalable and successful mechanism, funding mechanism, that is, for investing in domestic infrastructure is municipal bonds. And our view is that municipal bonds will remain the cornerstone for uh, financing the most complex public work system in the world, the U.S. infrastructure. However, infrastructure investing is evolving in the United States. And as you think about the federal plan 
Uh, and some people might even say a lack of a plan, a trillion and a half, which turns out to be about 200 billion and probably less than that because Congress is there's less appetite for uh, funding the infrastructure, frankly, because the public sector is deep in debt. And, you know, you have to look at the realities. Where is the cash going to come from? It's likely to be that funding projects through private-public partnerships, or P3s, that's the emerging trend in the United States. And I think P3s can be complex uh, in their uh, mechanics, but I think finding the right balance between a public policy that fits within the business, legal, and financial framework to really bring good, or if not good, the best value to all parties is important, is key as we approach this new uh, renaissance of the American infrastructure. You know, I say the P3s, they, the, the benefit of those is uh, they don't burden the public balance sheet with new debt. Uh, they do bring in private sector involvement, and with that you can make the claim that you'll see added uh, efficiencies that private sector can very often bring to the public sector. But more importantly, most importantly, I think, is you don't give up the ownership to the private sector. So the public maintains ownership of the public asset, but it transfers the economic risk to the private sector for a set period of time. So I think there'll be an American model of the private-public partnership that you see globally, one where there'll be primarily three, I think, avenues of opportunity. One would be private equity, which would be generally a relatively small proportion of the total investment. What we're seeing today is around 10% in the form of private equity. Municipal bonds, as I said, will remain a significant cornerstone to financing public assets. And then I think more importantly, we're starting to see some private debt opportunities. I think all three opportunities will continue in the years ahead. Thanks. Robert Perva, I think you've given investors a lot to think about. I do appreciate you making time for today's call. And yeah, I look forward to seeing where munis are headed in the next year. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Lizzie. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will stop by again for news on this ever-changing space. Until next time, connect with us on Twitter at at CEF Association or by searching for the Closed End Fund Association on LinkedIn and YouTube.